Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Late last week, the Supreme Court decided to spare a man's life. The Supreme Court has stepped in to temporarily halt the planned execution this month of an Oklahoma man whose case has drawn... The justices, they issued a stay for an Oklahoma prisoner named Richard Glossop. He's been scheduled for execution nine times. It's the latest development in an ongoing legal tug of war for the man convicted of killing his boss, Barry Van Trees, back in 1997. This kind of intervention is so rare that when I asked Slate's Mark Joseph Stern how many times he'd seen it happen, he was at a loss for words. That's a rarity for him. I think the number is zero. Um, The court today almost never stays executions. Mark says it's pretty easy to see why the justices made the call they did here. The state's only witness against Richard Glossop has recanted. One documentary and two independent investigations have all cast doubt on his guilt. Even the Oklahoma attorney general was behind Glossop's request. You almost never see the state's top law enforcement officer saying, you know, I am the man who is legally tasked with enforcing the law, including these laws about execution, and I do not want to kill this person. But the reason Mark was surprised by this day, just a bit, is that for some conservative lawyers, Glossop's name has become synonymous with the slow roll of justice in this country, and not in a good way. I think he's he's shorthand for this idea of too much justice. And the idea was basically, look, Glossop had one trial. It got thrown out. He had a second trial. He got convicted and sentenced to death. He's had years and years of appeals in both state and federal court. We've had enough of this guy. We don't want to think about him anymore. He should have been killed years ago. This may be why in the next few weeks, the Supremes are going to return to this case again to see if they want to hear it in court. If they don't, Richard Glossop may have reached his final appeal. What the stay said specifically was, if we decide we don't want to hear this case, the stay dissolves and Oklahoma has to kill this guy. Hold it, so this stay does not call off the execution? It is just a pause until the court takes further action. It just sort of preserves the very tense status quo until the justices decide how they want to handle this whole mess. Today on the show, Richard Glossop's long road to the Supreme Court. And why even now, it's not clear if anyone is going to step in to save him. I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stick around. This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person 
anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. To understand exactly what happened last week at the Supreme Court, I called up reporter Liliana Segura over at The Intercept. She has been following Richard Glossop's case for nearly a decade. I asked her to start by laying out the story of how Richard Glossop ended up on death row at all. So the murder that sent Richard Glossop to death row took place in January of 1997. Uh, At that time, Glossop was working as the manager of a a sort of low-rent motel on the outskirts of Oklahoma City. By all accounts, uh, you know, there were drugs, there was, you know, some uh, a prostitution happening. A lot of people were coming in and out of this place. Um, now, uh, on this day in January of 1997, nobody disputes, nobody disputes that a man named Justin Sneed, who was also working at the motel, entered a, a room at the motel and brutally bludgeoned uh, Barry Van Trees, the motel owner, to death. He uh, hit him repeatedly with a baseball bat. And then he sort of, uh, he hid his bloody clothes and, and left, disappeared. And so no one has ever tried to argue that Richard Glossop committed this crime. Uh, It has always been understood that this was um, Justin Sneed, who actually killed Barry Van So how did Richard Glossop end up on death row for it? In the early morning hours of that day, according to Richard Glossop, Justin Sneed uh, came and knocked on his door. He had a black eye and he told him that some drunks had broken a window in one of the rooms and Glossop, you know, who's sort of sleepy, uh, said, okay, we'll go fix it, you know, whatever, we'll deal with it. Uh, And then according to Glossop, Justin Sneed turned to him and said, by the way, I killed Barry. What? (laughs) Uh, According to Glossop, he was like, what? You know, he didn't believe him. He was like, that's, that makes no sense. He looked out at the parking lot, Barry Ventrese's car was still there. Uh, and he just kind of disregarded this. You know, Justin Sneed was a weird guy. He was using a lot of meth. Uh, he just kind of <laughs> didn't believe him. So when Barry Ventrice goes missing, Glossip fails to provide this information to police. But his decision not to share this information, it's not the only connection Glossip has to the case. He also failed to investigate what was happening in the room where his boss was killed. He even helped Sneed put plexiglass over a window that he'd broken while he struggled with Van Trees. And it took more than 12 hours for Barry Van Trees's body to be discovered. And so this failure uh, to, to come forward and share this information later, well, really has haunted him for decades ever since. Uh, because essentially, Justin Sneed, uh, when he's finally picked up, he is taken into an interrogation room by... Um, by Oklahoma City detectives. Uh, they 
they talk to him, you know, they, they ask him a lot of questions. But what's really notable uh, is that if you watch the videotape where they interrogate him, they sort of do something that is a, a hallmark of, of um, interrogations that have led to wrongful convictions or false confessions. They essentially say, we know that this wasn't just you. We know that somebody put you up to this. And they start asking him about Richard Glossip. They say, you know, Glossip is putting this all on you. You know, he's putting it on you the worst. And essentially, uh, to, to save his own skin, Justin Sneed goes along and eventually tells police that, yes, he killed Barry Van Trees, but that it was Richard Glossip's idea that he offered him a bunch of money. Uh, and and that that's the reason that's what led him to go in and and commit this incredibly brutal brutal murder. And importantly, Justin Sneed was able to avoid the death penalty for himself by implicating Richard Glossop, right? Exactly, exactly. In 2014, the first death warrant was issued for Richard Glossop. While there were always problems with the case against him, that's only part of the reason his execution was delayed so many times. For years, the state of Oklahoma was simply trying to work out exactly how to kill him. The Department of Corrections had trouble getting its hands on the drugs it needed, had trouble convincing prison staff to administer those drugs. Liliana says, along the way, there were a number of shockingly close calls. Back in 2015, Richard Glossop came incredibly close. I mean, he... he <laughs> It is still sort of staggering to think about what happened in 2015. Uh, over the course of that year, he had multiple dates uh, that were that were pushed off, um, generally because of, of of legal proceedings. But in September of 2015, Richard Glossop was on his way to the gurney. Uh, I was outside of the Oklahoma State Penitentiary. My co colleague was inside. Uh, we believed that his execution was moving forward. Richard Glossop was really past the time when he was supposed to be executed. A lot of us were really unsure about what the heck was going on. Uh, his execution had been scheduled. There was no information. But as far as we knew and his family knew and his lawyers knew who were outside the prison, uh, he was on his way to be killed. And then around three o'clock in the afternoon, suddenly we hear this cheering coming from where his family was and they had received a phone call uh, and it's announced that the governor, the governor herself had called off the execution. Uh, governor Mary Fallon, a Republican, halted it, uh, citing last minute questions about about the lethal injection protocol. Now, none of us knew what that meant, um, you know, for a little bit. It was just sort of chaos, frankly, and confusion. But we very quickly learned that what actually happened was that the DOC had apparently accidentally obtained the wrong drug. Uh, this is a three-drug protocol that they're supposed to use under the law. They have to stick to these specific drugs. And apparently they had um, obtained um, an incorrect drug Later on, I believe the following year, it would be revealed that a different man who had already been executed had actually been executed with that incorrect drug. I think part of what's so shocking about the Glossop case isn't just sort of the shock of him being on death row at all, but how close he's come to death so many times. Like I was reading he'd been given a last meal three times. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. That's right. I don't know how you would approach that scenario when you're doing it again and again and again. Yeah. And, you know, the last meals, 
always get a lot of attention. And I can tell you from being in McAllister, Oklahoma, that your options are fairly limited. <laughs> if you choose food from local restaurants, it's kind of this this grim thing, you know. But 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 what gets a little bit lost in in that ritual, right, is is that there's this whole other set of rituals uh, that that start at the 35 day mark. So I can tell you that when the Court of Criminal Appeals uh, rejected Attorney General Drummond's motion to vacate Glossop's conviction and death sentence, this 35 day protocol kicked in immediately. And it required that they pull Glossop out of his cell. He has to go to medical. He has to fill out all these forms where he wants to be buried, what he wants for his last meal, who the witnesses are, all of this sort of end of life stuff that uh, he in the past year has had to do over and over again because he's had multiple execution dates set over the past year alone. So so that is this kind of unfathomable psychological torture that he and his wife, I should add, uh, have confronted together. Uh, this is something they fill out that paperwork together. And every time this happens, he confronts that you know torment. So it's the last meal. Um, yes, but it's it's all of this other stuff, too. After the break, Richard Glossop, after more than 25 years on death row, finds unlikely allies in the GOP. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Liliana Segura didn't expect the Supreme Court to intervene in the case of Richard Glossop. Partially because she didn't think they'd have to. Over the last decade, Glossop and his lawyers have made powerful allies in the state of Oklahoma. Lawmakers and even the state attorney general. All Republicans, many pro-death penalty. In fact, last month, the attorney general himself argued to Oklahoma's Pardon and Parole Board that they should offer clemency to Richard Glossop. For a moment, just consider the scene. The state's highest law enforcement officer testifying that he does not want to execute an inmate. But to the surprise of many, that did not make a difference. The board voted to execute Glossop anyway. Yes, it was technically a tie. They say the vote is two to two. Clemency is denied. And and in that moment, it really it really was stunning. I I remember just feeling a sense of what just happened. Like what just happened. So I want to get into how Richard Glossop's case became what it is today, which is a bit of a cause celeb. It's not surprising to me that people like Sister Helen Prejean and Susan Sarandon and Kim Kardashian would be speaking out on Richard Glossop's behalf. 
But in the last couple of years, he's also gotten the support of Republicans in Oklahoma, even pro-death penalty Republicans, like a, a state representative named Kevin McDougal. Can you talk a bit about how this shift happened, where state representatives got very interested in his case and even began investigating it? Absolutely. So yeah, that has been one of the most striking developments uh, in in relatively recent years in, in Richard Glossop's case. These lawmakers, they don't all have the same story, but a number of them watched this documentary, Killing Richard Glossop. There are some big missing pieces. Why did these officers go after Richard Glossop the way that they did? McDougal himself has often said that he came away from watching that saying, if even 10% of this is true, then this is a real problem. Like this is disturbing, you know, to my core. And I can tell you uh, that from a political standpoint, uh, there is nothing to gain when you get involved in something like this. And the only reason I'm here is because I do believe personally uh, that we have an innocent man on death row. To watch uh, Kevin McDougal speak about what has happened in Glossip's case is is really pretty amazing because his eyes have been opened to the way this system works and he really does not like what he sees. And in fact, after the clemency hearing, after that vote, he's the one person I was able to grab in the parking lot because everybody was leaving. And I asked him uh, about something he has said in the past, which is he has said that if Richard Glossop is executed, he's going to spend you know, the rest of his life, essentially, the rest of his uh, time in office uh, uh, fighting to end the death penalty in Oklahoma. And he absolutely reiterated that. He said, absolutely. You know, this is something that has completely transformed his understanding of how the death penalty works in, in his state. And it's really disturbing. And how many investigations have been launched at this point re-examining Richard Glossop's case? Because my understanding is that Kevin McDougal was involved in an investigation and then also this new attorney general came in. So it just sounds like this case has been picked over by a number of people over a number of years. That's right. So what happened was that in, I believe, 2021, a bipartisan group. There were there are some you know dozens of of, of people who have come forward, urged uh, both Governor Stitt and the Pardon and Parole Board to investigate Richard Glossop's case. And when that got them nowhere, they actually sought out an independent law firm. Uh, this investigation lasted whew, well over a year. I couldn't tell you the exact contours, but um, this law firm reinvestigated this case. Inside and out. I mean, they talked to Justin Sneed multiple times in jail. They talked to all kinds of people connected to the case, uh, former prosecutors. They talked to a whole slew of witnesses who were never interviewed, who were connected to the to the motel. And the discoveries that they made were really groundbreaking. Uh, and the, their initial report contained uh, just a whole new understanding, the clearest picture to date, really, of, of you know what really looked like a wrongful conviction. Since then, they have released, I believe, four more reports. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And then much more recently, at the start of this year, Attorney General Gentner Drummond came into office, announced that he was launching a probe into Glossop's case and appointed um, an independent counsel named Rex Duncan to do his own his own investigation into the case. Now, this one happened a lot quicker, but at the end of the day, they essentially reached the same conclusion, which is that this is a case that they cannot stand by. 
Yeah, that led the attorney general to basically ask the Oklahoma Court of Criminal Appeals to vacate Glossop's conviction. When he did that, how did the court respond? The court refused. What was their reasoning? They basically said what they always say, which is that there's nothing new here, that all of this evidence that's come out really since 2015 um could have been discovered earlier, isn't actually, doesn't actually change anything. They have adopted a line that the state has used, tried to use before about Justin Sneed. One of the most significant discoveries, uh, I would say, in the past uh, year is that Justin Sneed, at various points between the first trial and the second trial, tried to recant, told his lawyer that he was interested in recanting his testimony against Richard Glossop. There are two letters uh, from Sneed to his attorney in which he's expressing a desire to recant, to change his deal. Uh, The state has previously argued that that wasn't really, uh, he didn't really mean recant. You know, they've tried to sort of explain that away. And the court has completely adopted that line. They also say this case fails on an actual innocence uh, claim. There is no proof of actual innocence here. But is there evidence of actual guilt? Well, that's a very good question. <laughs> I would say I would say the evidence of actual guilt has always come from this one person. Uh, and that's Justin Sneed. And his uh, credibility has been undermined time and time and time again. And now we have letters in Justin Sneed's own handwriting telling his lawyer that he wanted to recant. So that's pretty powerful when he's your only source of uh, evidence implicating Richard Glossop. It's interesting because you've reported that the attorney general in Oklahoma, he actually does think Glossop was essentially an accessory to this murder. Maybe he helped cover it up, but that he just doesn't think the original theory of the case that Glossop was the mastermind holds water. Absolutely. Attorney General Drummond has not come out and said, I believe Richard Glossop is an innocent man, uh, which you know stands in contrast to, to some other politicians in Oklahoma. but but. In in a, in a sense, that doesn't matter because what he has a responsibility to do is to ensure that justice is served. And if you don't believe that this man is guilty beyond a reasonable doubt uh, of first degree murder uh, and that he should be executed, you know, uh, yes, maybe Glossip could have been convicted of accessory after the fact. That is not <laughs> a, a crime punishable by death. The Supreme Court's move late last week to stay Richard Glossop's impending execution, it doesn't mean he's leaving death row, but it does provide something else that's valuable. Time. Liliana says the Oklahoma state legislature may be able to use that time to save Glossop's life. I know for a fact that Kevin McDougal and his colleagues are drawing up legislation. There's a couple different things underway. There's legislation that... Uh, seeks a moratorium on the death penalty in Oklahoma. I don't know if they have the votes for that, but Richard Glossop's case is definitely uh, changing people's minds and opening people's eyes. There's also legislation that's being drawn up that could actually be focused on the Court of Criminal Appeals and essentially say to that court, you cannot just reject what the attorney general brings uh, before you uh, as they did in this case. I know for a fact that they are working on a bill that would potentially allow 
that would that, that would sort of restart, reopen that legal path uh, in order to get Richard Glossop's case back to the local district attorney in Oklahoma City, who would then have a say, as she should, in, in what happens next um, and whether he gets a new trial. So so those are two measures that I know are, for a fact, are underway in some form or other. Uh, I don't know what else they might be planning, but they're still fighting. Whenever I've read about Richard Glossop and his brushes with death in the past, one of the things reporters like to bring up is the fact that he shares his last meal with guards. He talks about you know, the fact that the prison can't take away that, the fact that he can be generous. It made me think a little bit when I thought about this upcoming execution date. Because I wondered, like, what what would happen if no one performed the execution? I think if that was going to happen in any case, it would be in this case. I think that it would be a tremendous act of resistance. It would be uh, pretty amazing, frankly. But I, I know that there are a lot of people working for that Department of Corrections who do not want to see this execution to go through, who do not want to be involved with it, who were just as shocked, maybe even more shocked as anybody else by the results in that clemency hearing. This comes at a time when the reason, the stated reason that the attorney general asked the Court of Criminal Appeals to slow down their execution schedule earlier this year was because the head of the Department of Corrections said to him, this schedule where you're asking us to kill this many people over the course of two years is untenable. It's traumatizing our officers. It's it's people can't handle this. And so I think that that, um, yeah, I think we could see some pretty interesting and pretty dramatic pushback. Liliana, I'm super grateful for your time and your reporting. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you so much. Liliana Segura is an investigative journalist at The Intercept. She's focused on prisons and harsh sentencing. And that is our show. Big thanks to Mark Joseph Stern, who joined us at the top of the show. He is a senior writer at Slate covering courts and the law. If you're a fan of what we're doing here at What Next, the best way to show your support is to join Slate Plus. It is our membership program. Go on over to slate.com slash whatnextplus to sign up. What Next is produced by Elena Schwartz, Anna Phillips, Paige Osborne, Rob Gunther, and Madeline Ducharme. We're getting a ton of help right now from Laura Spencer. We're led by Alicia Montgomery with a little help from Susan Matthews. Ben Richmond is the Senior Director of Podcast Operations here at Slate. And I'm Mary Harris. Go track me down on Twitter. I'm at Mary's Desk. All right. Thanks for listening. Catch you tomorrow. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live.